Does my voice sound better than it did last week? Please tell me yes. My wife's doesn't. Rosemary's come down with it. I think she's got it worse than me. That's why she's not here this morning. I'm so, I think there's people away because it's either school holidays or they got the flu or something. It's certainly spreading around. Her little granddaughter turned five, I think, today. Five. It was her birthday today and she's sick with it. And her parents. And so it's a real fun day for them too. Anyway, a senior pastor is away, as you know. Um, I guess he's due back in a couple of weeks. Um, I haven't heard anything from him, and that's a good thing, don't you reckon? <laughs> and I mean that, that no news normally, so there you go. All right, let's pray. I'd just like us to pray because we need the Lord. This is an amazing passage of Scripture we're looking at, as all Scripture is. Um, I reckon we need about six weeks to go through it all. We've got about 30 minutes, so may the Lord have mercy over us as we look at this incredible word of his. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Oh, Lord, what an amazing people. We feel that we are because of what you've given us, Lord. You've given us yourself. Your word is truth. We live in a world where people wonder what truth is and they'll just take anything and say, oh, that'll do. But your word is truth and it's the only truth. And so, Lord, we ask that you will open our eyes and our hearts to all that you want to say and do in our lives as we open our, word, open our hearts to your word this morning. Thank you for this precious time of worship that we've been able to have. Thanks that we can just draw away from the things of the world, the stuff that we normally do during the week and meet together as a body of your people, experience the gifts of the Spirit amongst us all and, and just hear what you want to say to us about love. Meet us now, we pray, Lord Jesus, because it's in your name we ask this. Amen. Amen. Doc Gibson. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? He's with the Lord in glory today. <clears throat> but for some years, and I don't know how many, but for some years, Doc Gibson was the principal of the Baptist Theological College here in Queensland, which is now called Malion out at Mitchelton. And I'm sure that there are some of you, as I've already sort of sensed, that you've, you know who Doc was and some of you would remember. Perhaps he's even preached in this church uh, from time to time. I'd, I'd also describe him as, a, as a, a very godly man. He was a gifted Bible teacher and a great theologian. That's how I'd describe him. Um, I got to meet Doc Gibson when I was at Ashgrove Church as a young Christian. And he'd be invited along a number of times to be a guest speaker there. And uh, I got to know him a little bit um, over that time. Well, I shared with a, a colleague and a mentor of mine... Uh, that I was going to be pre preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he immediately related this story to me about Doc Gibson, who also preached on that passage. Well, I shared with this colleague of mine, and uh, he said this. He said, Doc Gibson, so preaching on this very chapter, Doc Gibson once began by saying, and he used to have this little grin. You know that little grin he used to have on his face? Some of you might know that. He began by saying with this little grin, he said that, in, in, that, God, that God in his infinite wisdom chose to place 1 Corinthians 13 between chapters 12 and chapter 14. And then he paused for a second or two so that people could get a hold of this deep theological construct. Now, they're going, well, obviously, something, you know, Doc Gibson preaching, so it's got to be something deep here. That, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is between chapter 12 and 14. 
and there was. Because then he went on to explain how the Apostle Paul was vitally concerned that the Corinthian believers, and therefore it's so applicable for us today, that they would understand that in the midst of all the spiritual gifts that were mentioned, that he will mention, well, as he mentioned in chapter 12 and in chapter 14, that in the midst of the spiritual gifts that Paul mentions, absolutely central to it all was love, is love. Love. The only thing that could bring and, and that could bind the church into a perfect, unified body was love. Self-giving. God-inspired love. And we know the Greek word is agape or agape, however you want to put your mouth around that. But agape, love, that's what we're talking about here. In fact, when Paul wrote to the Colossians, after he had mentioned a number of Christian virtues that they were to put into practice, he elevated love to that central and lofty place by saying to them in chapter 3, verse 14, Colossians 3.14, he says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Isn't that powerful? Beyond all these things, he says, put on love, which binds us all together in perfect, perfect unity. Unity. Perfect unity. You see, this was something that the Corinthians did not have. They had disunity. They had dysfunction. And so what did, what did Paul specifically identify was missing from the Corinthian church in this chapter? Love. Love. And Paul, by, the, by, by way of introduction to this deep and desperate need that's, that, that is so needed in the church today, back then and today, and by way of introduction, Paul says at the end of chapter 12, I want you to notice these verses here, the end of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. Notice that after speaking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, Paul, after speaking about that, notice that he did not say, And now I will show you the most excellent of all the gifts. He didn't say that. And I want to suggest it's because love is not in the same category as our spiritual gifts. Because it started to occur to me as I was kind of reading through this, and I suppose just dawning on me and thinking about this, listen to this, that Christians are not commanded, we are not commanded to have every spiritual gift in ourselves, and we don't have them all. Otherwise, we wouldn't need each other. We wouldn't need if we had it all. We're not commanded to have all the spiritual gifts, nor do we. Do you understand what I'm saying? But we are all, without exception, commanded to love the Lord and to love one another. All of us are commanded to love. And you remember too that love is the first of the nine fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. And we are, again, all commanded 
all, every Christian, every Christian is meant to have and to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. We are all meant to have that. Do you see the difference? We're not all meant to have all the gifts. We don't. But we are meant, all of us, to love. To love, to have this love, this agape love. And we also know as we read through just this chapter alone, just from this chapter, that the day will come. The day will come when spiritual gifts will cease. But love never will. Because love never fails. There's a bit of a difference between where Paul says, I will show you the most excellent way, and him speaking about spiritual gifts. I think Doc Gibson had, it, had something going there when he said, and it's little wonder when you think about this, it's little wonder that God chose to put 1 Corinthians 13 between chapters 12 and 14 because love needs to be absolutely central. Absolutely central. Love needs to be that unifying cord that binds the church together in all that it says and all that it does with each member of the body. We need to be unified. It doesn't mean that we are uniform, but it does mean that we, we do need to have this, 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 this unity in the midst of our diversity. We need to be a unified, bound body of people exhibiting love, real love. Because also, when we do that, we, in our light-bearing witness to the world, we need to have a, a, a light-bearing witness to a world that is so full of darkness, isn't it? We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Love needs to be central for us to do that. So let me ask you a question, church. How might we rate ourselves in this church? In this area, do you think? How might we rate ourselves in terms of loving one another as Paul's commanding us to do here, as Jesus commands us to do? Love one another as I have loved you. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. How might we rate ourselves with that? Do you think there's any room for improvement? And they're the kinds of things that I believe that God the Spirit would want to touch our hearts and get us to ask those questions of ourselves. In verses 1 to 3 of, this, of, of Corinthians 13, Paul begins to teach on the point that even if you could have all these amazing spiritual gifts operating in a believer's life in the church, yet if love is absent... Have anything you like, all these amazing kind of visual, uh, you know, spectacular gifts operating. But if love is absent, then the gifts, however great they are, are worthless. You're a noisy, clanging symbol with whatever gift you might have if love is absent. Someone has said, that love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ. You like that? Love is the circulation, is the circulatory system of the body of Christ. And when, when I read that, I automatically started thinking of my QAS days, my ambulance days. <clears throat> because we would teach our people, 
We would teach them back then the importance of prioritising treatment on a patient. Do you remember the DRABC? I'm probably out of date now. I don't even know if that's around. <laughs> Is it still around? DRABC. We would... Because... Just imagine. Because if they didn't have this on board, particularly, particularly with an unconscious patient who can't tell you anything, obviously... But the importance of treating a patient, the DRABC, prioritising the right things. Because if they, um, because if, for example, they had a, an obvious broken arm or an obvious broken leg, and the person, the, the, the first aid or the ambulance officer runs up to that person, and immediately your mind, your, your eyes are captured by that broken leg or that broken arm, and so you get down with this person and, and you start doing this beautiful bandage around it to bind up the wound and then you do this wonderful job of immobilising that fracture and you stand back and admire your work and all of a sudden you realise, hey, this patient's not even responsive. <laughs> and there's no pulse. All that you've done has been absolutely <laughs> worthless because there's no circulation, there's nothing there. The person's, the person's dead. And in a nutshell, this is the message of, of 1 Corinthians 13. One commentator says this. This is really the very heart of our epistle. For the root cause of every failing and inconsistency for which the apostle has had to rebuke the Corinthians was precisely lack of love. I reckon that's so true. Love is so powerful. It's not weak, gushy, mushy stuff. Powerful love, agape love is powerful. And when that operates in the body of Christ, you won't want to be away from this. You won't want to stay away from church. When you see agape love operating powerfully by the Spirit of God, energising and moving through his people. People will be drawn to this place as they were drawn to Jesus himself. Don't you think? The people who knew Jesus, they couldn't stay away from the crowds, followed him wherever they went because they saw that this man had a love for them. There was something about him that was different to anyone else that they'd ever known. It's powerful, church, and we need to have that in our lives operating. May God keep us from lacking love. May God spur us on to love one another powerfully, passionately in the power of his name. And people will notice the difference because they're living in a world they don't have that. Verses 4 to 8 we have a description of the qualities of Christian love. In these verses, the description of the qualities of Christian love. And once again, it's interesting to note how Paul <coughs> introduces this topic when he says at the end of chapter 12, as I've already mentioned, and now I will show you the most excellent way, because then he repeats the same words. Did you notice? When we launch into chapter 14 next week, he, he starts the chapter with those very, very same words. Look at this, 14, chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love. Follow the way of love. And now perhaps if you're a bit like me, you're reminded of what Jesus said. 
what Jesus actually said in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the... Say it with me, please. I am the way. Yeah, I am the way. Paul says, follow the way of love. Jesus says, I am the way. And in terms of this agape love, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is the most excellent way. He's the most excellent personification of love you will ever find. What does true love look like? <clears throat> well, it looks like Jesus. So follow him. Follow the way. Look at these verses. Four to eight. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Beautiful words. I don't know how many times I've read them at weddings and perhaps I'll read at your wedding as well. Magnificent words, but we need to soak in these words and let the words soak in us. So we're not just seeing them as lovely words, but we're seeing them as rich, powerful, dynamic words that need to be in action in our own lives. And again, it's been observed that uh, in these particular verses, you could easily transfer, trans, sub, sorry, you could easily substitute the word Jesus for love in, this, in these words here, in this passage, and have the same perfect example and description of what true love is all about. Do you know what I mean? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. You could put his name in every one of those things and, 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 and not detract, but indeed enrich, if you like, what this passage is actually saying. And I'm not suggesting we do that, by the way. But a benefit, a healthy benefit of doing that is that we also get a good balanced perspective of what love is about. You see, we'd see, if we put Jesus there, for example, we would see that sometimes true love will crack the whip. Do you get it? Sometimes we'll see true love so passionate it will overturn tables and crack the whip. That's what true love is all about. In its passion, Jesus does that. We, love does that in that kind of passion in order to correct the behaviour and attitudes that are damaging the ones that we love. Jesus cracked the whip and overturned, not because it offended him, but because he knew it was damaging them in their relationship with God. Sometimes we need to crack the whip. Sometimes we need to overturn tables in that passion to correct attitudes that are wrong. And when you look at the way Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has described these qualities of God-inspired love, I want us to first notice here that, <clears throat> that, he, that he makes two positive affirming uh, descriptions in verses 4 as we move through this now. Verse 4, look at this, love is patient, love is kind. First two affirming positive aspects of love 
love is patient. 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 Patient as in a slow, in other words, in being slow to anger. It's like, it's like a big log in an open fire that just kind of slowly burns away. And this is the original meaning behind this word here. Like a big log, great big log in an open fire, just kind of slow burning. Slow to anger, slow burning. Unlike, unlike the, 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 the dry pine needles that you might put in a fire, what happens to them? They spark everywhere and burn up in an instant. Let me ask you, so which are you? In terms of patience, what are you? Are you a log in a fire or are you one of those pine needles that just sparks and bang, you're gone? You see, love is patient. It's slow in its reaction or response. And in this particular, in this particular context here, the word patient has to do with being patient with people. Not patient in your circumstances, but it's being patient with people. That's what it's about here. It's about having a capacity to be wronged by somebody and not instantly retaliate. That's really what it means. It means that when you're driving that car and if you're going towards Hale Street and, and, the, and the, all the lanes merge into one and you've been in that queue probably a number of minutes and you're slowly crawling along and you're getting towards the end of that exit and all of a sudden someone zooms up on the outside and cuts in on you. Who's been there? Who's done the cutting in? No, don't ask for that. <laughs> but that you can sit there and say, praise the Lord. Oh, help me. Oh, it's being patient. It's slow. It's God's spirit work. We need his spirit. We need it right in those situations. It's about being patient. Hey, how patient are you with your brother or your sister? How patient are you? Love is kind. Love is kind. God's love has this quality of kindness. Have a look at Romans 2 verse 4. We haven't got time to go through all of these. Jeremiah 31.3 says, talking about kindness. Magnificent words in Jeremiah 31.3. Have a look at these. Underline them. Read them again. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Oh Lord, thank you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Look what he says. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. Unfailing kindness. Does our kindness fail sometimes? Do we have unfailing kindness? He does toward us. Paul then follows these two positive descriptions of love with eight negative ones. That's, that is eight negative attitudes that do not describe love. And as you go through this list, by the way, as you, as you go through this list, it's not, just, it's not just a list that Paul's kind of randomly plucked out of the air here. It's not just a chosen, kind of randomly chosen sample of wrong attitudes that contrast what love is. But it was deliberately chosen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to rebuke those believers... To rebuke the behaviours, I should say, to rebuke the, those behaviours being practised by the Corinthian church. 
And so they're very specific. And if you were to go through the chapter, as we have been going through 1 Corinthians, you'll notice that as Paul says, love is not, does not envy, does not boast, etc. You'll see that he is aiming directly at attitudes in the church where those things were happening. Love is patient, love is kind. Look at this. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Now have a look, for example, at chapter 3 and verse 3 of 1 Corinthians. He says this, You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? That's chapter 3, verse 3. Another sample, chapter 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not, although that you have? Why do you boast as though you did not? You see, love does not boast. So you can see that Paul is aiming specifically, directly at these attitudes that were there in the church. So Paul continues to do this. He continues to address these very carnal, these very worldly attitudes against the standard, against that standard of what true Christian love is that is seen and known and available to each one of us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ by his indwelling spirit. One writer made this particular statement about this chapter. He says this, in its negative aspect, this picture of, sorry, in this negative aspect, it's a picture of the deplorable state of affairs that had arisen in the Corinthian church. Enjoying the spiritual gifts as they did, but using them without love. And so they became impatient, unkind jealous boastful arrogant rude irritable resentful unjust intolerant and malevolent or nasty that's what was happening with the gifts that's what were happening because the gifts were not empowered by love which needed to be central it needs to be the battery the powerhouse of all the gifts being used it wasn't just before i move on um, to the next section let me suggest having already mentioned the fruit of the Spirit, that you would, again, in your own personal time, maybe you do this in your life group or do it personally, but can I suggest that you read carefully again 1 Corinthians 13 and just these verses 4 to 7 and then compare this to the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about listed in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And then where you'll see, where you'll see in those verses these edifying qualities and characteristics of what true love is. So understand and see that. And then do a self-audit. I suggest that we do a self-audit and ask, which of these do I feel is is a strength in my life and which one is a weakness? Which ones are strengths to me? Which ones are not? Which ones do I need to be strengthened? And then ask the Lord to show you and to help you to be more like him in your demonstration, experiencing his love, the fruit of the Spirit, and what true love really is. Ask the Lord. He'll help you. He'll show you. He'll lead you. Thirdly, eight verses, 8 to 13, 
In these verses, Paul talks about the permanence and the preeminence of love. The permanence and the preeminence of love. At the start of verse 8, Paul declares, love never fails. You see, because in the coming age, all the other gifts which Christ gave the church to equip the church, to equip her, to enable her to carry out and fulfill her mission and to edify each other, that's why he gave us the gifts, in this age will cease. There'll come a day in this age, they haven't ceased yet, by the way. I just want to put my stamp there and say they haven't, they haven't ceased because there is some theologies, some school of thinking that say the gifts have all ceased. No, they haven't. They are operating. Perhaps we'll only be operating a bit more under the Spirit of God. But there will come a day, folks, when the gifts will cease. We won't need them. We'll be in glory with Christ. But by contrast, love, love will never cease. Love, love ought to be the true motivation for the use of the spiritual gifts in the church today because love <coughs> will last forever. Love will last forever. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says it will. God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 8, 16. Love is not God, by the way. But, love, but, but God is love. Need to differentiate there. Love never fails. <clears throat> Look at these verses, 9 to 12. For we know in part, we know in part, that's all we can. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childhood, put away the, of childhood behind me. Verse, two, verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we, we shall see face to face. Try and work out what this means. This is awesome stuff. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Isn't that amazing? Hey, did you know this morning that you are fully known? Did you know there's nothing in you that God doesn't know about? And yet he loves you passionately. Isn't that awesome? In this present age, we know only in part. And I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons is that because we're not capable... We're not capable in this present finite human form to understand very much at all of the infinite presence of the person of the sovereign God, of the God Almighty, eternal. There's something happening behind me. Yes. <laughs> kind of had a feeling there's something going on behind me. That's how I can have a drink. <sighs> we love our kids. Do you get that? Us in our finite human form, we are not capable of understanding the infinite mind and person of who God is. Perhaps that's why we're told in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own 
understanding because we're not capable of leaning on our own understanding. We are not capable of understanding who this incredibly infinite God is. However, when completeness comes, verse 10, no longer will we see just a reflection as in a mirror, verse 12. A Corinth, Corinth apparently, was famous for its manufacture of mirrors. In those days made of highly polished metal, which at best gave a very imperfect reflection. Do you understand? You've probably you've heard all that. I'm sure that's nothing new to you, correct? They made mirrors, but it was made of highly polished metal, and you put up a highly polished metal that had a few, perhaps a few little ripples and things in it. It didn't give you a very complimentary you know, reflection of yourself. But listen to how the Amplified Bible unpacks this. I love the Amplified Bible uh, for some of the, for Bible study and things like that. The Amplified Bible, how it describes this in verse 12. Listen to these words. Verse 12 of chapter 13 in the Amplified Bible says, For now we are looking in a mirror that gives only a dim, blurred reflection of reality as in a riddle or an enigma. And that's what the original Greek word is. It's about a riddle. We're looking, we're looking sort of with this, with this, this kind of imperfect reflection. It's a riddle to us. There's still mystery about it. Enigma. But when, so that's now, but when perfection comes, when we stand in the very presence of Christ, we shall see in reality, face to face. Now I know in part imperfectly, but then I shall know and understand fully and clearly, even in the same manner as I have been fully and clearly known and understood by God. Isn't it a richer, it gives you a bit of a richer dimension of this, doesn't it? Now we know and understand in part, but then we shall know and understand fully. I can't still get my head around that. That day is coming. When we will know God as perfectly as he knows us now. I still can't get mad around that. That day is coming. <clears throat> but listen, in the meantime, may we, church, never stop growing in Christ. Growing, learning, spending time with Jesus. You're, you're finite. He's infinite. You will never get to know all about him in this life but you will keep growing and he will keep molding you he'll keep transforming you refining you sanctifying you but keep growing in this time right now that day is coming when we will love God as perfectly as he loves us now but in the meantime, church, may we never stop growing in our love for the Lord and in our love for one another. Amen? The day's coming where all that will be perfect, but let's keep doing it now. Loving God. The more you'll love one another. I need to keep moving. Verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, 
hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen? The greatest of these is love. So, did the Corinthians get this on board? Did the Corinthians actually change their ways and their attitudes? After Paul mentions these things, after he spends his time with them, talks with them through this. Did they learn, did they embrace the most excellent way of love? It seems that some did, but sadly, many didn't. Not all. Have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. This is not an encouraging picture that Paul sees, even after he has said these things to them. Not an encouraging picture. A Bible commentator, Paul Barnett, he makes this comment. He says, The church at Corinth never amounted to much in the unfolding years of church history. It is quite likely that their lovelessness toward one another was a major obstacle to their impact on their city and their province. Lovelessness. Isn't that sad? And folks, again, the challenge come to us. You know, I wonder if we as a church might do better in that we all will embrace with all our hearts the most excellent way. Amen. Embrace him. If you struggle to do that, then say, Lord, you know what? I'm struggling to love. Tell him. And then let him do his work in you that only he can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for this amazing chapter. And I know that one of the commentaries I read, Lord, the commentator himself, he felt so just completely inadequate. Spoke about his grubby little fingers trying to work through this incredible document of your word and father in many ways i just say lord forgive us at the time that we haven't spent perhaps really malice things but please help us our own perhaps personal bible study and devotional times to just soak and let your words soak in us so that we are listening to all that the Spirit is saying to us. And that we become doers of your word, not just hearers, but doers. Fill us with that passion, Lord. Give us that longing and that desire. Give us that thirst for more of you, for all of you, for all that we can bear in this life. Because we do want to make a difference in our world. We want to be a church where people are so drawn by the love of Christ in this place, they won't want to stay away. Help us, Father, we pray, to do better. There's always room to improve. Thank you for what we are doing. Thank you for what you're doing in and through us now. We would not lose sight of that. Beautiful things, Lord. People's lives are being changed, being transformed. Thank you, gracious Father, that you've done great things. But Lord, help us not to settle for that. We want to see more, Lord, for you. We want to be more passionate for Jesus and for each other. 
So do your work, Lord. Have your way in this church. We want to follow the way, the most excellent way. And we commit ourselves to you now. Praying you'll bless us this day and the days that lie ahead. Until we meet again, go before us, go with us, use us, glorify your name, Jesus, we pray. And we ask this in your precious name. Everybody said, Amen. Bless you, folks.